Good morning. Uh, if I mention a locust plague, where in the Bible would your mind immediately go? Uh, most people probably would think maybe the, the, ten, uh, the ten plagues in Egypt, uh, one of those was a, was a locust plague. But you know there's another book in the Bible that spends considerable time talking about a locust plague. It's the book of Joel. It's one of the minor prophets. And it, m- most things, uh, people's minds, if you mention them in the Bible, don't go to one of the minor prophets. Uh, like the, the themes of the minor prophets aren't always the things that immediately call your attention. Most people are aware of the minor prophets. They've heard of the minor prophets. But they don't spend a lot of time thinking about the minor prophets. Um, but the book of Joel is actually kind of an important book. Um, in one reason reasons the book of Joel is important is because it does draw upon that exodus imagery of the locust plague to describe this punishment that God has in store for Israel. But then after the description of that, there is this lengthy conversation about the day of the Lord, and there's a lengthy conversation about the restored blessings that were lost during that locust plague. And as God begins to enumerate how he's going to bless his people again, he says some interesting things. Uh, he mentions like all of the, the plants and the, the vines and all of the produce that the locust destroyed. He would give those back. Uh, there would be a restoration of the land. But then he also goes on to speak about a day when God would pour forth his spirit on all mankind. And you would be able to see the Spirit of God in incredible ways. You'd be able to see it in ways that uh, hadn't been seen before or at least only had been glimpsed rarely and in parts. But you'd be able to see that overflowing in the land. The reason that's such an important description is because we're going to be studying the book of Acts uh, over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at Acts and we're going to be looking at uh, how God works through his people, how people are sent and commissioned, and how the church has this responsibility to be a witness of the good things of Christ and also to bear witness to the calling of God and to be a light into the world and how the church has this this responsibility to spread. And you can see that happening throughout the book of Acts. But that Joel 2 prophecy is actually, I believe, at the heart of what Acts is all about. And not only that, If you remember last week when we talked about Acts, Acts is the second half of a book. Uh, There's a first half also, and it's Luke. Luke and Acts were written by the same guy to the same guy telling the same story, and where Luke ends, Acts begins. So if you only study Acts, it would be like starting halfway through a book and uh, just reading the rest of it. The characters have already been introduced to you earlier, and the main storylines have already been introduced earlier. If you read Acts, you're kind of missing uh, some of the foundation. Uh, if you really want to get a better understanding of Acts, you have to read Luke first. I mean, that's where, that's where the story of Jesus is that leads up to Acts. And so uh, all of that is to say, I think that Joel 2 prophecy, we sometimes tend to think of it as, oh, that's, that was quoted in Acts chapter 2, the day the church began. And that's true. But I think that that prophecy is not just meant for us to to kind of have in our minds as we read Acts chapter 2, the day the church began. I think that prophecy is what lies behind all of Luke and all of Acts. I think Luke-Acts is a narrative description of what it looks like when God pours forth his spirit on all mankind. And your young men and your old men and your daughters, they see visions and dreams and they prophecy. And there's signs in the heavens above and wonders on the earth beneath. And and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In fact, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. 
Uh, Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at where that passage is quoted, and it is the day the church begins. Uh, it is uh, the, the apostles, they begin speaking in tongues, and all of these nations are around, and they gather around, and they're very curious as to what's taking place, and some people are kind of cynical about it, saying, these guys are just drunk, and the apostles are like, not quite, uh, something else is happening here. Do you remember Joel too? And uh, then Peter begins to preach about Jesus, and that day, 3,000 people end up being baptized because of this sermon, and, and you end up seeing in Jerusalem this movement begin, which spreads rapidly and takes over. And the book of Acts shows us how that movement, which began in Jerusalem, ends up in Rome. You know, it, it, it spreads throughout the ancient world. And so it's a really powerful story with a really powerful introduction. Uh, but as we get to Acts chapter 2, I want to read the Joel 2 prophecy as quoted by uh, Peter. And so in Acts chapter 2, in verse 17... This is the Joel 2 prophecy to which uh, we've been referring. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Very important that he says, I will pour forth my spirit, not just on Israel, not just on uh, you know, Jerusalem, but on all mankind. That's key. That's key to one of the major themes throughout all of Luke and Acts is that this story is going bigger than we thought it was going to. This story is going worldwide here. So I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and even my, my bond slaves, both men and women, I will on those days pour forth my spirit. And so what you're seeing here is it's all mankind. What you're seeing is it doesn't matter your age, old men, young men, old women, young men. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, even the bond slaves. Like, what he's saying is this is something that's going to be surprisingly universal. It's going to reach beyond uh, what we thought possible and what we thought uh, was ever going to happen. In fact, it'll be creation-wide. Verse 19. And I will grant wonders in the skies above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Okay, so there we're getting some apocalyptic language. And that apocalyptic language, um, you usually shouldn't look for a literal moment where the sun turns to blood or the moon to darkness or these types of things. What you should be thinking is whatever is about to take place, it's going to shatter the world. This is going to be uh, explosive. This is going to be something that even creation itself can't handle. God's going to do something incredible here. Um, uh, one way I've heard this type of language described, and I think it's a good way to think about it, is you imagine God on his throne in all of his holiness and all of his power and all of his might. And when he comes to do something on earth, he stands up and he makes his way to earth. But the might and the grandeur and the power of God is so significant and so magnificent that as he even enters, the earth begins to shake and the sun and the stars can't handle it. And it's just, it's at the might of God, everything changes. We use this type of language someday. You know, we might talk about, uh, about you know, September 11th, 2001 as a dark day. Um, well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't really have much to do with the sun. Uh, it has to do with the fact that there's, there's something foreboding and, and, and terrible as we think about that day. Um, the Bible often uses language like that, sometimes to talk about really bad things, but then sometimes just to talk about incredible earth-shattering things. And so as it begins to describe here what God is going to do, it's something that creation itself isn't even prepared for. And then you get to verse 21. 
And it says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, what I want to invite everyone here to do, um, I'm not going to be able to finish a good, dis- a good description of how important this prophecy is for Luke Acts this morning. Tonight, I will continue uh, kind of looking at some of the things that this prophecy mentions, like the name of the Lord and the signs and the wonders, and we'll see how those end up carrying the story through Luke Acts, uh, especially Acts. Today, what we're going to focus on uh, this morning, more specifically, is uh, the pouring forth of the Spirit on all mankind and what that's going to look like. But come back tonight, and we'll be able to, uh, to dig into a little bit deeper, and we'll see some of the ways that that will change what the world looks like. But as we get to this right here, the point that I want us to make this morning is that the Holy Spirit is alive and is active and is essential for the birth of the church and the continuation of the church. And as long as the Holy Spirit is alive and active, incredible things can happen. As long as the Holy Spirit is alive and active, then there is always room for hope There's always room for eager expectation of the working of God and of excellent things to come. It can be so easy to get bogged down and to get burdened or even depressed by so many external factors that seem to be so prevalent in our day. You can rattle off a list of them right now, a bunch of things that can distract us. But what I want us to remember is that even though there's sickness and even though there's division in the world and even though there's so many things that can weigh us down, The Holy Spirit is very much alive. The Holy Spirit is very much active. And the Holy Spirit can change the way that we see the world and the way that we see ourselves. The Holy Spirit in the Bible, we are told that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But one thing that I think uh, we sometimes don't think about as much is that the Holy Spirit also dwells within us. Not just like me and you as individuals, but the church. The Holy Spirit is... The church is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The church is a spirit-filled gift of God. And so because of that, the church has God with us and God with us always. One of the incredible things Jesus says about the Spirit in the Gospel of John is he says, it is good for you that I leave because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit cannot come. And, you know, if I'm sitting there with Jesus, as much as I love and appreciate the Holy Spirit, I would be thinking... I kind of like having you here, though. Uh, Like, it's hard for me to believe that something better is coming after you leave. It's hard for me to believe it's good for you to go so I can get something better. I'm with you right now. That's kind of good. But Jesus actually says it's good for you that I go because Jesus truly believed that the gift of the Spirit mattered. And it mattered so much. And it was valuable and it was important. And tragically... Uh, And this is not just a Church of Christ story. This is a story that is true of many different churches. The Holy Spirit, which should be a unifying force and which should give us confidence and which should give us boldness and hope, has so often become a source of division because we spend so much time sitting around thinking about what the Spirit can and cannot do and will and will not do and did and did not do, and we argue with each other over all of that, so much so that people are like, all right, fine, let's not talk about the Spirit all that much anymore, and the Holy Spirit becomes kind of just put on the, the back burner, the, the back of the bookshelf, and we just don't think about the Holy Spirit all that much, but if you read Luke Acts, you better think about the Holy Spirit, because, I, and I, I think this is an accurate description, Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, Perhaps a better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is active all the way through it. Like, if you were looking for the apostles in Acts, 
You're going to get them in the first chapter and second chapter. Then you're pretty much going to get Peter, James, and John maybe a little bit there for the first half. Then you're pretty much going to get Paul, who uh, was, was, was a later addition, uh, for the second half of the book. But it actually doesn't tell you a ton about all of the apostles. But do you know who you do learn a ton about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is repeatedly discussed on almost every page. Every new area they go to, you see the Holy Spirit arrives in profound fashion and, and ends up making changes that are, that are incredible. And so as we go through Acts, I want us to remind ourselves, I don't know everything the Spirit's going to do. I don't really want to argue about it. Uh, I'll tell you this. This is my brief summary of what the Holy Spirit does and does not do. Uh, it's, you can agree with it or disagree with it. It's hard to disagree with it, I think. But here, here's my thought. The Holy Spirit does whatever God wants the Holy Spirit to do when God wants the Holy Spirit to do it. And, uh, and I don't always know what that's going to look like in the future. Uh, I can tell you some things that seems like that looked like in the past. Uh, but the Holy Spirit does what God calls the Holy Spirit to do. And the Holy Spirit is active and vibrant and alive and well. And so as we read through Acts, let's keep that in mind and see what the Holy Spirit does. But... As I said, I don't think that Joel 2 prophecy about the Holy Spirit being on our sons and daughters and our old and our young and on all flesh is limited to one chapter in the book of Acts. I think that is central to understanding the whole story and to prove it. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I think if you come back tonight, you'll see uh, this. It will become even more clear that Joel 2 hangs on every page of Luke Acts, uh, especially as we start looking at signs and wonders and the name of the Lord uh, and uh, in the, an, interesting, um, an interesting nuance to how we think about the name of the Lord from the book of Joel to the book of Acts. But uh, we'll get into that tonight. Right now, we're going to look at some passages about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. One of those is in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. This is Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, being told about a son that he's going to have. The thing you should know about Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth, is that they are old and they're not able to have children. Uh, they're very much like Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they are at a stage of life where having children is not on their radar, and yet God calls them to this new purpose. And it's a surprise, but it's also a wonderful blessing. And, uh, and God is telling them about this son that they're going to have. And their son is John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, one of the things that we are told... Um, actually, start in verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine nor liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So here we have an example of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit, kind of like Joel 2 talks about. Uh, this is going to be one of your young men. It's actually going to be one of your youngest of young men. This one's filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. But remember how uh, uh, Joel 2 is going to talk about like the different ages, old men, young men, women, daughters, and all that stuff. Um, pay attention to that as we go through uh, Luke chapter 1. Right now we have a spirit-filled uh, fetus in, in the womb. Uh, you have John the Baptist. Now you get a little bit further. Look at chapter 1 in verse 35. This is Mary uh, being told that she's going to be with child. Uh, she's going to give birth to the Lord Jesus. And we're told in verse 35, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and power on the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. 
And so here we have this angel uh, who's bringing this message about Mary. Remember, they're going to see visions and dream dreams and all this stuff. Now you start having these, these dreams and these visions and these appearances of angels, and you're having the Holy Spirit being announced on all these people. You have it on a very young man at first. Now you have it on a young woman, uh, Mary. She's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come over her. Then look at verse 41. Now we're about to get an old woman. This is Elizabeth, remember the mother of John the Baptist. She's advanced in age according to Luke chapter 1 and verse 7. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. So an old lady now. And uh, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And do you know what Elizabeth does when she's filled with the Holy Spirit? She begins to speak, and she speaks a word of blessing. That's going to be common here in the early chapters of Luke. Someone will be filled with the Holy Spirit, speak a word of blessing. Uh, so verse 42, and she cried out with a loud voice, and she said, Blessed are you, talking to Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. If you look at verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken uh, to her by the Lord. So you have these blessings that are repeated. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden she starts blessing Mary. And then you know how Mary, who was just filled with the Holy Spirit, is going to respond? In verse 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. You remember that Joel 2 prophecy? about uh, even your young men and your women and even the bond slaves, right? Well, now you have this young woman filled with the Holy Spirit, even, even the Lord's bond slave. And you see in verse uh, 48, it continues, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. You have this word of blessing uh, that Mary begins to speak full of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 67 of chapter one. Now we're gonna get ourselves an old man. So we've had young man, young woman, old woman, old man, uh, verse 67, and his father, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Remember the Joel 2 prophecy? Your old men and your young men will prophesy. They'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what you're having happen right here. And uh, so he prophesies, and guess what he says? Verse 68, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And then he begins this, this prophecy. And so what you're seeing in the very early chapters there's no citation from Joel 2 yet. That's coming later. We're building to that. But right now, you're getting all of these hints and clues that something, something incredible is happening here. Something unprecedented, something unexpected, something that had not been seen before is starting to take place. And it's taking place in the lives of individuals of two particular families so far. Um, but what you'll see is that's going to grow. And that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You keep going through uh, Luke, and this, this just pops out on like every page. After Jesus is born, he's brought to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And when you get to chapter 2 and verse 25, there's a man you meet at the temple. His name is uh, Simeon. It says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought their child to Jesus, uh, brought, uh, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry uh, out for the Lord the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed 
God, another word of blessing by someone filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he uh, ends up speaking about how Jesus, verse 29, now behold, you are releasing your bondservant, remember Joel too, um, to depart in peace uh, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Remember, the Holy Spirit will fall upon all flesh or all mankind, well, all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Then verse 34, and Simeon blessed them. Another blessing from someone filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only do you meet this guy there, and we're not told his age. uh, We don't know exactly how old he is, but we do then meet another older lady. If you look at verse 36, and there was a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, which that's even a surprising detail. Uh, You know, if you're talking about it falling on all people, at this point, you don't run into too many people from the tribe of Asher. That's one of those 10 tribes to the north that, like Assyria, you kind of get the impression mostly did away with. Uh, There might be a few remnants of things here and there, but here you're getting one of those. And it's like every, every... verse you go to as you every paragraph it introduces you to a new person who's either a prophet or a prophetess who's filled with the holy spirit who's giving some word of blessing about something great that is on the horizon and you're seeing it happen to different ages different genders all this different stuff the lord's starting to work right now and luke wants you to know and it's very very easy to start connecting these passages to that large description in uh, in in joel 2 about what the spirit's going to do when it falls upon all mankind you find out that this is a woman verse 37 um, who is a widow to the age of 84 and she never left the temple and what she does is she begins giving thanks to god in verse 38 so you keep going through and you've been seeing all kinds of different people, new characters that we don't even, they're not even like prominent characters, but they pop up and you find out they're full of the Holy Spirit, or they're a prophet, or they're a prophetess, or they're old, or they're young. And all of that, I believe, is language that's stemming from Joel 2. And it's building up to that huge climactic moment in Acts chapter 2. But then you get uh, Jesus, who is on the scene, and Jesus is now a young man. He's about 30 years old. We're told his age. Luke's the only gospel that tells us his age. And uh, verse uh, chapter 3 In verse 21 and 22, at the baptism of Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit falling upon him. It says, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended down in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Then we get a genealogy and look what starts happening in the ministry of Jesus. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Kind of sounds like what Joel 2 was talking about. Uh, He returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit into the wilderness. So now he's full of the Spirit and he's going places as the Spirit leads him. After he overcomes the temptations in the wilderness, look at verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding districts. So Jesus returns, and in the power of the Spirit, he begins his ministry. He begins doing things that will define the rest of his ministry. And you can go through Luke, and you can go through Acts, and you can see how the Spirit is active over and over and over again. 
But once you get to Jesus, you actually don't see too many more people in Luke who are introduced as being full of the Holy Spirit. For the most part, what you see is it centers on Jesus and his life and his ministry now. He's the main point. But because of the life of Jesus, you'll see that the Spirit doesn't only stay with him, but it comes from him and ends up falling upon those who he, his disciples. Uh, You'll see that when you get to the book of Acts. And then it continues to go to all people. So turn with me now to the book of Acts. And you'll see that the theme started in Luke will continue into the book of Acts. So you get to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 2, Luke is uh, writing his introduction to Theophilus about all that the Lord began. You know, he, if you look at verse 1, he says, The first account I composed, that's what we were just reading, that's the Gospel of Luke, uh, Theophilus, about all that the Lord began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles uh, whom he had chosen. So Jesus is filled with the Spirit. He gives orders by the Spirit to his apostles. Uh, He is the one, if you look at verse 5, who said, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's a quotation from Luke. Jesus said that in Luke, and now uh, Acts is starting off kind of reminding us this Holy Spirit theme, we're going to pick it right back up, right where we left off, and uh, it's going to kind of set the stage for what happens in in the book of Acts. And so then uh, you get to verse 8, and Jesus is telling his disciples what they're going to do. And this is a good little summary statement of the, the book of Acts. And you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both to Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. So what you're going to see here is the Holy Spirit will fall upon the disciples, but it's not going to stay there. They're going to travel. They're going to go to Samaria. And you know what you'll see? the Holy Spirit will fall upon Samaria. They're going to go to Gentile. Paul will go on missionary journeys. And you know what you'll see? The Holy Spirit fall upon the churches there. He works in the, in the, in the Gentile mission. And, and so you're going to be seeing the Holy Spirit. The Acts is the story, not just of the church spreading, but the Holy Spirit spreading throughout God's world in fulfillment of what God said in Acts chapter 2, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind on all flesh. You're young and you're old. We've already been seeing hints of that. As you begin going through Acts, you do see right there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, the disciples, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so this happens, a crowd gathers. That's when Peter, in chapter 2 and verse 17, he quotes from Joel 2, saying that this is all what God had promised. This is no accident. This is no random surprise event. God has been building up to this moment. As you read through that prophecy, you're like, wait, I've been seeing old men and young men and, and women and bond slaves and servants and all that. I've been seeing them prophesy and have visions and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been seeing that for a whole book now, and now I'm starting this book, and, and we're finding out, oh, that was all building up to this. Now you have this new community of the people of God, and guess what? It's a spirit-filled community. And you get to Acts chapter uh, 2 in verse 33. During this sermon, after speaking of the resurrection of Jesus, Peter says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, talking about Jesus after the resurrection, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So Jesus received the promise of the Holy Spirit and is now pouring it forth. And that's what they're seeing there in Acts chapter 2. And so then you get to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. 
And guess what you find out? Peter told them to repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. Remember, I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind, all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Well, now we're going to see how that happens through Acts. As you continue to reading, you can get to Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. You find that Peter, after healing someone and being arrested, he has to give an explanation as to what he's done. And guess what? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, there's that phrase again about being filled with the Holy Spirit that we've been seeing from Luke. Now Peter is, it's not no longer Jesus being the one described as filled with the Holy Spirit, but now Peter is. As Peter interacts and he's, he begins to explain and begins to teach. Uh, you can look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. And this is, Peter had been arrested, then he's released and the church gathers together and the church begins to pray. And then you get to verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you remember the Holy Spirit falling upon them in Acts 2? Well, now the whole church is gathered and the Holy Spirit is falling upon them. Uh, you start seeing this type of thing over and over again. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the church. They lie to Peter. But you know what Peter says they did? They lied to God and to the Holy Spirit. Uh, because why? Because the church is spirit-filled. When you lie, you're not just lying to Peter. You're not just lying to some people. They're lying to the Holy Spirit. Uh, as you go on, you can get to Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. After describing what God had done through Jesus, we find out that they are all witnesses, the disciples are, of these things and so is the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord has given to those who obey him. So then when there's problems in the church, you know what they do? They look for those spirit-filled individuals who can, who can help solve those problems. In Acts chapter 6, there's problems with the widows uh, receiving a distribution of food. So you know what they do? Verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who uh, you may put in charge of this task. And so then they start choosing these men. In verse 5, we hear Stephen, who's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He's chosen. And then Stephen begins to, to preach and to teach. And uh, you can see in verse 10, the people who rose against him, it says they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. In fact, Stephen ends up having to give uh, a justification for it that costs him his life. That's all of chapter 7. And you know what happens towards the end of chapter 7? You can look at verse 51. He says to the people who are refusing to listen, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is being poured out and you guys are rejecting and rebelling against it. You're resisting it. And they get so angry, they pick up stones to kill him. And he, verse 55... And being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into the heavens. You can continue this on. You can see that the church, because of a persecution that breaks forth at that moment, they begin spreading. And you know what they do? They bring the message of the gospel with them. And guess who goes with them? 
The Holy Spirit sure does. The Holy Spirit in chapter 8 uh, falls upon those who are in Samaria. They go to like the hated Samaritans. Jews do not like Samaritans. That's something we've seen. John clearly says that, and, and that pops up from time to time. Jesus uses the Samaritan earlier in Luke as the, the good example of, of uh, what loving your neighbor is like because that's the shocking example. But here they go to Samaria, and we find out that the apostles in chapter 8 and verse 14 now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, and they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And then you have this one guy named Simon who tries to, he's like, can I, can I buy that? <laughs> can I, how much would it cost for me to be able to give people the Holy Spirit like that? And he finds out, no, that's a sin. Don't do that, Simon. Uh, but as you go through uh, the book of Acts, you start seeing this happen. You start seeing it, it happen in, in new places uh, and as it spreads throughout, uh, throughout the world in which they are working. Uh, incredibly, look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 17. You start to see it happen in the most unlikely places. Not only Samaria, but there was actually a Pharisee who was kind of against the church. In fact, he wanted to kill those. Uh, he, people laid their coats at his feet when they stoned Stephen. His name was Saul. And you know what happens to him? Acts chapter 9 and verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here we have even the persecutor of the church. When he hears the message of Jesus, he becomes one who can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit begins to comfort those. If you look at verse 31 of chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. So you remember when Jesus says the, the, it's, you're going to be filled with power from the Holy Spirit and you're going to be by witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, the remotest parts of the world. What you're seeing is the Holy Spirit is now covering those areas. But it hasn't yet gone to the remotest parts of the world. The Holy Spirit hasn't yet broken forth into Gentiles until you get to chapter 10 and there's a fellow named Cornelius. And guess what happens with Cornelius when he hears the word of God? The Holy Spirit falls upon him uh, in incredible ways. You can look at, uh, first the Spirit tells Peter to go to him. Peter preaches to him that Jesus was filled with the Spirit in verse 38. And then chapter 10 and verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. Now this is shocking to Peter because um, that means something. It means that the unclean Gentiles uh, who he would have just assumed ignore for the rest of his life, can now receive the very Holy Spirit of God. And so as this happens, uh, verse 45, all the circumcised believers who came to Peter, they were amazed because the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. And so Peter begins to realize, I don't think I can forbid baptism to these people. I mean, if they can actually receive the Holy Spirit, then that means God is accepting of them. That means they can be my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, verse 47, Peter says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit just as we did. What does he mean, just as we did? 
He's going back to Acts chapter 2, going back to that Joel 2 prophecy, and he's saying, that's still happening, and it's happening even to Gentiles. It's happening on all flesh. And so then Peter commands them to go be baptized. In the next chapter, chapter 11, Peter's explaining what happened with Cornelius to his brethren back in Jerusalem. And it says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did us at the beginning. That's Joel 2. This is a Joel 2 moment. And it's been happening all through the book of Acts. You can continue doing this. Uh, you'll eventually see that, uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit sends out Paul and Barnabas, and they go on this Gentile mission. And uh, you'll see that they are able to uh, bring the Spirit with them in each place that they go. And if you look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 52, the people that they teach the gospel to, these Gentile churches... And it says, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 15, at the Jerusalem conference, they're discussing whether or not they should accept Gentiles into full fellowship. And you know what one of the arguments they use is? Peter reminds them of Cornelius. Back in chapter 15 and verse 8, he says, And the Lord who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he, again, connects the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit with the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2. So what's the point of all of this? The point of all of this is to say that the Holy Spirit is absolutely central and essential to the church. If the church is going to go to Samaria, it'll only survive there if the Holy Spirit goes to. The Holy Spirit is essential if the church is going to spread to the remotest parts of the world. The Holy Spirit is God's plan for the church. The Holy Spirit fills the church. The Holy Spirit comforts the church. The Holy Spirit is, is there to strengthen the church. We do not have the power on our own to be what God has called us to be. But God doesn't send us out on our own. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. The Holy Spirit is active in the church, and the Holy Spirit is active here. And if we have faith and confidence in that, no matter what external factors may come and oppress us or may come and, and make it seem like the future is uncertain, I believe we can have optimism and hope because the Holy Spirit works incredible things. Joel 2 describes this glorious day, and I don't think it ended in Acts chapter 2. I think that is a description of what God's plans for his church are. God plans for the Holy Spirit to be there every step of the way. God is with us every step of the way through his Holy Spirit. And it's, I believe that is something that uh, can give us tremendous confidence. You read through this and you realize that whether you're a persecutor in the church like Saul, he was able to receive the Holy Spirit. Whether you're a Samaritan, whether you're a Pharisee, whether you are a, a Gentile, there is no reason for us to cause divisions uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to cause. In fact, that's one of the things, whether you're old, young, men, women, Gentile, Jew, Samaritan, like sinner, the Holy Spirit made these incredible impacts in the lives of all of these different people throughout the pages of Luke Acts. And I believe the same could still happen in our world today. And so let's have confidence and let's have hope and let's press on to the future with optimism, remembering that we are a spirit-filled body of believers and that God always has done and can continue to do incredible things. And if there's anyone here who would like to become a Christian this morning, if there's anyone here who would like to uh, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is to you. It's to you right now. You can do that very thing. If you have the need, uh, you can come to the front row or you can meet with one of our elders in the back. But we pray that you let that be known while we stand and as we sing.